Well, I think a lot of us, probably the majority of us, have really gotten into this online shopping and buying, buying things online. You know, even old folks like me have figured out that that's a, that's a pretty convenient way to go, you know. Uh, you get on the computer, you do a quick search, and you find what you want, and you can buy it, and they bring it right to your door. It's amazing. In fact, the delivery times have even gotten so fast. You know, sometimes I can order it today and uh, get it tomorrow. And it's so much easier than going to the store. You know, especially during this coronavirus pandemic, uh, a lot of people have gone to online purchasing because you don't have to go out in the crowds, you don't have to go to the store. Uh, it's just so much easier. It, it has become so popular uh, that I read recently that Jeff Bezos, who's the Amazon guy, you know, uh, he, his personal wealth increased more than $80 billion this last year because so many people were buying things online. Uh, it has really become popular. Well, if you were a marketeer, if you were trying to sell things online, maybe it might not be goods, it might be services. Maybe you are online and you're trying to sell your services. Or maybe you're trying to sell merchandise, but whatever, you're online. You have an online presence. You're trying to get people to come and order things from you. Uh, you know what's really important? It's important that you have good customer reviews, right? When you're buying online, what do you do? Well, I know what I do very often. I go to the customer review section. How, how is this product viewed by other people who bought it? How, how is this contractor viewed by other people who used his services and if his reviews are good then you have some confidence that it's okay and you can move forward but i'll tell you if the reviews are bad you're probably going to shy away from that thing or from that serve service because if other customers have not been happy very likely you might not be happy either and so customer reviews are really a big factor in decision making uh uh Negative reviews are a bad thing. So if you have a product or a service that you're trying to offer, but you've been getting negative reviews by, by people online, that is really serious because that's going to really hinder your business model. In fact, there are companies out there that actually do nothing other than try to resolve Negative customer reviews for companies because it is such a big deal. It's so serious. You do not want people to have a bad impression of you if you're trying to do th business online. Okay, now with all of that having been said, I want to apply that notion to what we're doing here today. And what we want to do for a few minutes today is to address some serious misconceptions about Christians and the church, because uh, there are some real erroneous negative opinions that people have out there, and it's affecting their decision-making relative to becoming a Christian, uh, concerning whether or not they will be a member of the Lord's church. There are some serious misconceptions, some negative reviews, if you will, that are keeping people from shopping in the right way. All right, so that's, that's the way we're going to develop our lesson for a few minutes here this morning. Stop just briefly to say thank you to everyone who's here. Uh, as was mentioned earlier, we've got a good crowd of people together, and we're grateful. We've got a number of visitors with us. We're always thankful for our visitors. We hope you'll come back. 
And we're open to your questions. If you have any questions about what we're doing, why we're doing it that way, what we're teaching, why we teach it, if you have any questions at all, we'd be very open to those questions. And, and our intention, our aim, our goal is to be able to respond to those kinds of questions with a book, chapter, and verse thus saith the Lord, because that's very much what we're about here. We want to have Bible authority for everything that we do and teach. Thanks for being here today. Let's start out by talking about the church and the people in it specifically. So first of all, we're talking about Christians. And we want to stress that the church is not made up of people who believe that they are perfect. Someone says, well, I could, I could never be a Christian uh, because I'm not perfect like those folks over there. You know, I know some Christians and I've been associated with some And I'm not a perfect person, therefore I don't think that I could ever do that. I'm not a perfect person. Well, that's a misimpression because there's nobody here that has ever claimed to be perfect. We hold the Apostle Paul up in very high regard. He he wrote a, a, a majority, really, of the books in our New Testaments, and he was a great hero in service to God. We hold him up in high esteem. But notice what he said in Philippians 3, beginning verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. He said, what did Paul say? I'm not perfect. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that, for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press on to the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I did, that, that last part of that phrase got cut off. Um, There's not a single Christian that ever lived who could truly claim to be perfect. But we do follow the one who was perfect. We have a perfect Savior in Jesus. And that's what Paul said. I'm not perfect, but I'm striving to move forward to be more like my Savior. And that's what we are trying to do. In 1 Peter 2, verse 21, For hereunto were ye called... Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. So who did no sin? Only Christ Jesus. But we should follow in his steps. So that's, that's what we're striving for. We're not perfect. No right-thinking person could claim that they ever were perfect. We're, we're trying to follow our perfect guide and model. We want to constantly serve him and strive to be better But this idea that I can't be a Christian because I'm not perfect is a misconception, right? I'd further say that the church is not made up of people who think they are better than others. This is a connected point, but it's a common misconception. Uh, I'm afraid maybe through the years that there have been some people who hurtfully left this impression that they were better. I'm a Christian, I'm better, I'm... What's the expression we use? Holier than thou. And I'll tell you, to the extent that anybody has gotten that impression from any of us, it's a terrible thing uh, because uh, faithful people of God know better than to think that way, that we're better than anyone else. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Let nothing be done through vain glory, but in lowliness of, of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. 
You know, it's vainglory to think I'm better than others. I'm not to think that way. And I've been instructed to be careful not to do so. But having said that, we do understand that we need to be better than we are. Uh, You know, we're not trying to be holier than thou. We're not trying to say we're better than others. But what we are trying to do is be better than we are right now and keep growing and improving. In 2 Peter 3, verse 17, Beware lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Beware. There's a danger here. We have to keep growing and so that's what we're doing. We're not saying we're better than anybody else, but we do know that we've got to keep trying to be better than we are. We want to keep growing and getting better. And then, with these first two points in mind, the church is not made up of perfect people. The church is not made up of people who think they are better than others. With those two points already established, then this point should be obvious. The church is not made up of people who never make mistakes. Uh, I imagine many of you have had the experience that I've had. So here's a person that's in some pretty serious spiritual trouble in their lives, and you're trying to help them. Maybe you're going to them with, with some instruction, some admonition. Maybe you're trying to get them to correct some really bad things that are going on in their life. And when you talk to them about that, they fire back, well... I guess you never make mistakes. Have you ever had that happen? So you're you're trying to help this person, and and instead of accepting your encouragements and help, they fire back, well, I suppose you, you never make a mistake. No, we never said that. We never said we don't make mistakes. In fact, if we did say that, that would be a lie. In 1 John chapter 1, beginning verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. And so, nobody here is saying that they never make mistakes, or more bluntly, there's nobody here who says they never commit a sin. But what we do try to do is acknowledge our failings and our sins. And what we do try to do is not keep repeating those sins over and over again. We understand that we need the Lord's ongoing forgiveness. We're not saying that we never make mistakes. All right, so there's some misconceptions that people have about Christians personally and individually that are wrong. Now, the reason why we've got to point this out is, as we were saying, like when you're buying things online, if you see a negative review, you shy away. If people are allowed to maintain these misconceptions about us as Christians then it very much does affect their decision to try and be one. And so, again, we're not saying we're perfect, we're not better than others, we're not saying that we're free from making mistakes. We acknowledge all of those kind of things. Please understand that to be true. But let's talk about not only misconceptions about Christians, but let's talk talk about some misconceptions that exist out there about us as a collective whole. So at first we were talking about each of us individually, but what about us as a collective whole? There's some serious misunderstandings out there, and I want to illustrate it with one, and I just picked this one out because I think it graphically explains what we're trying to talk about this morning. The church is not trying to withdraw from everyone. Uh, I, I remember 
years ago in another place, uh, we had a, a person who had been visiting the services with, with some regularity, not very long, but they'd come several times. And in the course of one of the assemblies, it was necessary for the church to take disciplinary action against an unfaithful member, and that was announced. And, and that person didn't come back thereafter. And so we called and visited with that person, went to the door, went to her door, knocked on her door, said, we've been missing you, hope you'll come again. No, I'll never be back. Said, I'll never be back. She said, when I was there last time, uh, that letter was read concerning that person who had fallen away. And I think that was the most hateful, despicable thing that I have ever witnessed. I can't believe that that sort of thing would happen, and I will never be back. Well, uh, that woman ha- certainly had a deep misunderstanding of the practice and wouldn't even accept any explanation or study the scriptures concerning it. But the fact of the matter is, that is a misconception. It's, it's, we're, not, we're not in the business of trying to withdraw from everybody. We only take that dramatic action as a sort of a last-ditch effort to try and show someone how, how concerned we are for their soul, it is actually a great sign of love and concern. This verse, I think, does a good job of explaining that. In 2 Thessalonians 3, beginning verse 14, If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him. Why? That he may be ashamed. In other words, we're trying to get him to realize the seriousness of what he's done Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Do you see that? Uh, we, we are not trying to be mean or hateful in such an action. We're only taking it. And nobody likes it, by the way. Nobody likes to have to do that. But we only do that as an effort to show them their lost spiritual condition, their need for repentance. And really, it's a sign of love. It would so, be so much easier to look the other way, to ignore that teaching, and to never pursue that sort of a thing, but that would not be the loving thing to do. So it's a misconception to think that we hatefully are just trying to withdraw from as many people as we possibly can. And again, I, I, I chose that one to be first here specifically to show that people get the wrong impression and they're not careful enough to ask why. If you simply ask the question, it's easy to explain that. Don't jump to the wrong conclusion about the church. The church is not trying to set up arbitrary rules to hinder people. I know a lot of us have talked about during this, the last many months of this coronavirus pandemic, we've talked about our frustration over the fact that different governments, state and local governments, have instituted rules for their citizens supposedly to try and prevent the rapid expansion of the, of the numbers who are suffering from the coronavirus. But so many of the rules have been just so arbitrary and inconsistent. And it's just, it, it, it's, I, I think people are really, really growing tired of that. We do, we do not like that. We don't like to see it when our government leaders make these harsh, arbitrary rules. And, then they, and, and what's really bad is when we are shown that they themselves are hypocritical and don't even keep the the rules that they apply to everybody else. So we understand this idea of arbitrary rules. It's a very unpleasant thing. Well, some people have that view about the church. We're just out here setting up arbitrary rules 
and then expecting and demanding people to keep those rules. Uh, you know, we, we, we don't want anybody to have any fun or enjoy life. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But we're just making these rules to make it hard on people, to try, to try and hold them back and hinder them from enjoying life. Well, the, the first observation about this is that we are not the rule makers. Uh, they are not our rules, okay? And anybody, in fact, we would, we would adamantly oppose anybody who tried to set up their own personal rules to govern God's people. We are not rule makers at all. It's not our rules. They're God's rules, okay? Please understand that. And if it cannot be proven from the Scripture to be a rule of God for us, then we will not allow anyone to impose those kinds of rules on anybody else. We are not rule makers, but the rules are from God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we reference this verse pretty often because it states it so well. Moses sort of given his final instructions to the children of Israel. He said... So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord our God. Notice, for our good always and for our survival as it is this day. Now, we don't live under that same law that Moses was referencing right there. But there's a principle stated, and it's always been true. As God has dealt with people and as He's given instructions and commands for us to observe, He gives those rules for our good. He's not trying to hinder us or beat us down. The rules that God puts in place for His people are always for our well-being. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 8, bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable. Godliness is profitable unto all things, having promised the life that now is and that which is to come. Notice, these rules of godliness have promise of the life that now is. In other words, it's for our good. They're they're to to make our lives better. Uh, The rules of Scripture actually protect us from all kinds of bad things that could happen to us. They guide us away from. The rules of Scripture guide us away from things that can hurt us. To illustrate, the Scriptures tell me to be faithful to my wife. Oh, that's just a rule trying to beat me down and hinder me from having fun and enjoying life. I should be able to go out and get other women if I... So, What about the people who do that? What, what about the people who, who, who ignore the rules of marital fidelity and choose to do otherwise? Are they ultimately better off for doing that? Are their lives made happier and better by virtue of that? You know the answer is absolutely not, right? And so when God tells me to be faithful to my wife... He hasn't tried to make a harsh rule to restrict me in in a mean, harsh way. He's actually told me to do something that's in my best interest anyway, right? And we can multiply the examples of that. But the church is not, first of all, not in the rule-making business, and and the rules are not there to try to hinder people and hold them back. Here's another one. And these are all obviously sort of multidirectional. These don't necessarily flow together, but... Some people have the idea that the church is trying to make people ugly by imposing strict rules concerning modesty. Uh, speaking of rules, we we're just talking about rule making, and some people think we have these these rules, these harsh rules about how people dress. This is a great misunderstanding. I think if you, I think if you took a survey uh, and asked people 
a question concerning Christians and the way they dress. I believe a lot of people would say Christians have to dress funny. Christians are expected to dress funny. They don't get to dress like normal people dress. Well, first, let's acknowledge that it is true that as Christians, we're not following all the extreme trends of modern culture when it comes to the way that we dress. But having said that, you also have to admit that the the dress standards and the dress trends are constantly changing. You know, it's hard to keep up. If you were even trying to keep up with cultural trends concerning modesty, it, you, you'd have a hard time doing it. Uh, but in reality, uh, all of these cultural trends about dress are so superficial. And I would just ask people, I would just ask thinking people this question. Do you really want your beauty and worth to be determined by whether or not you're able to keep up with the latest fashion trends? Is that that the way you want to be measured? Is that how you want to be remembered? She was the most fashionable dresser. She was always on the cutting edge of cultural trends in dress. He was always such a great dresser. The thing I remember most about him of all is the the way he dressed. It was just so outstanding. Right right in touch with the times. Is that really how you want to be remembered? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh... Women professing godliness with good works. There's a better way to show who you are than to show it by how you dress. Show the good works. Adorn yourself in in a different way. Don't make the way people notice you be because of how you dress. Maybe Peter said it best here in 1 Peter 3, beginning verse 3. "Do Do not let your adorning be external the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is, in God's sight, very precious. Notice, this is an imperishable beauty. The problem with following the fashion trends is, well, first of all, you follow the fashion trends, it's probably going to make you be immodest, sinfully immodest. But secondly, that's going to change. What's the trend this year will not be the trend next year. You're going to have to really work to try and keep up with all of that. But ultimately, it's all going to fail, right? But if you adorn yourself with a hidden person of the sort that God wants to be, the adorning of the hidden person of the heart, that's an imperishable beauty. And that's what we ought to be seeking for. So again, the church is not trying to make you ugly. The church is actually trying to get you to be more beautiful in the eternal sense. The church is not trying to separate you from your money. That's all they ever talk about over there. That's all they that's the first thing that comes up is that they're wanting you to give money. They're just only interested in money. That's that's the only reason why they're really interested in me is they want my money. No. Actually that's not true. 
But what we are interested in doing is we're interested in, we're not trying to separate you from your money. We're trying to keep your money from separating you from God. In First John, or excuse me, First Timothy 6, First Timothy 6 beginning verse 9, They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And we've, we've talked about this passage a lot, and we can talk about it a lot more. But we understand that, as it says here, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And people who pursue money and uh, uh, pierce themselves through with many sorrows. We're not, we're not trying to separate, separate you from your money. We can talk about giving, and we do, and it's an instruction from God concerning our first day of the week offerings. That's really not even what we're talking about here. What we're trying to do is try to get people to get a right view of material things and spiritual things with an emphasis on the spiritual. Finally, let me suggest to you that the church is not trying to take the joy out of life. We talked about this just a minute ago, just briefly, but... But you know, here's a really big misconception that people have. So I guess if I'm going to be a Christian, if I'm going to be a member of the church, I guess I'll just have to live a miserable, deprived life. But I guess if I can, if I can struggle through, if I can grit my teeth and just bear it now, maybe I can go to heaven when it's over. This is, not going, to, this is going to be a terrible life. I'm not going to have any fun. It's just going to be awful. But if I can just grit my teeth and make it to the end, at least I get to go to heaven when it's over. I'll tell you, that is a horrible misconception, isn't it? We're not trying to take the joy out of life. What we're trying to emphasize is that God has a plan for our best life now and in eternity. In, in Philippians chapter 4, the text that was read for us earlier by Tyler, rejoice in the Lord. There's reason to be happy. Joyful. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We have real reason to rejoice. The life of, of a faithful Christian is a life of joy. We're not trying to take the joy out of life. We're trying to instill that joy, that true joy in, in the hearts of men and women. So, we started out by talking about the fact, you know, when we're doing things, if you're online, you're trying to sell things, trying to provide services, and you get a negative review, that's bad. You want to clear that up just as quick as you can. You don't want those, you don't want those negative reviews out there going to keep people from coming to your restaurant, coming to your store, using you to provide a service. You've got to clear up those negative reviews. Well, there's some negative ideas out there about Christians and the church. And we want to clear that up, and we hope people would be inquisitive enough to ask some questions so that we can offer some explanations. Sadly, there are some serious misunderstandings about God's people and His church. And I, I hope we've helped to address some of those things in our lesson this morning. As we bring the lesson to a close, we'll be singing a song of invitation with the intention of helping everybody have an opportunity to think about your situation and whether you need to make some changes. It may mean that you need to obey that gospel plan, uh, take those first steps to become a child of God, to become a Christian. 
Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. If we can help you in that obedience, we want to do so. And we also offer our help to you if you need to study more about those kinds of questions. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away, we beg you to come back to him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing.